Very rarely do companies release their entire data set related to their customer's performance. It can be scary to be so transparent. Like, what if a prospect sees it and they're just really not impressed? Well, this is our second year releasing our B2B Advertising Benchmark Report, and today, Silvio Perez and I are going to go through some of the interesting insights from that report and just try to make sense of it all. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Um, back with another episode of Demand Gen U. Um, I get to do it with Silvio today. Uh, I know, Silvio, you've been on twice so far. Is that with Mark or once or twice or how many times have you been on so far? I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's like either <laughs> twice or three times. Yeah, yeah, nice. Well, I know we get a lot of good comments when you're on, so um, so thanks for coming on with us again. Um, great topic for us. We're going to talk through, you know, just like some of the, some of the insights and data points from our benchmark report and uh, just pull out some of the things that we thought were maybe a little interesting um, and try to make sense of it, you know, uh, and also maybe help folks listening who want to use the benchmark report, like figure out how to use it a little bit more adeptly. Cause like the thing is not, I mean, it's, there's a lot of data in there and if you don't know what you're doing, you can really kind of hang yourself. Um, so yeah, sounds great. And just to add on to that, take these benchmarks as, you know, just inputs. Don't take them as exactly how you phrase it, like hang yourself. Unfortunately, too many people get caught up in, comparing their performance to benchmarks and they let that cripple them where, you know, if their CPL is $200 and the benchmark saying it should be a hundred, then they hold themselves accountable against that. So really like shifting, using this as a tool just to give you some insights on what are general trends that you're seeing, things that maybe you can lean into and, you know, gather those insights, which we're going to talk about and push that into your experimentation, but don't Think of it as like, oh, you know, there's so many variables, right? For for every industry segment, every different ad type, bid strategy involved to just use it as like a, a general guidance, I would say. Yeah, totally. And like when you're looking at some of the <clears throat> some of the benchmarks, um, maybe use that as like, oh, someday. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you know, like someday we'll get there. You know, you can use it that way. But, you know, like we we're mentioning, the most important thing is to understand where you're at today. And then if it's not great, and if, even if it's great, like what are your plans to continue to improve it? You know, and what does that look like? Is it a 3% improvement, a 50%, you know, like what, what can you do to improve where you're at? And then maybe just use the benchmarks as like, okay, like, okay, there's some companies getting that, you know, so at least I know that's there. But yeah, man, in my career, I've been screwed so many times by benchmarks that like my CMO would find, right? They'd be like, hey, I saw this benchmark report, you know, and I'm just curious, like, what's our, and oftentimes it feels like it's around email or something. I don't know why. It feels like I was always getting, like, these email benchmark reports sent to me. It's like, uh, so are, you know, are, are we, do we, what, what do ours look like? You know, it's like, oh, damn it, you know, because yep. immediately, as an analyst, you know how much, like, you don't know is wrapped up into that data, right? How did they take it? Which customers? What are the segments? You know, and oftentimes they don't, they're not clear about that, you know, in the reporting. So you're just like, man, I'm trying to uphold myself to like the top 2% in the world of something because somebody put it out a benchmark report that somehow my CMO got. So yeah. You um, also lose focus. And we tried to, and that's right. We try to do it a little bit differently, you know, to give you that ability to like get out of those averages. For sure. And you yeah. lose focus on the main KPIs. So like with the email example, 
maybe that report said the best open rates are like 52 mm-hmm. percent and yours is 46 percent now you're you know you're beating yourself up mm-hmm. but you lose focus of what really matters what's your north star right like reply rates pipeline etc and you start holding yourself against like these very superficial metrics that aren't really going to you know drive that that performance you're looking for yep exactly um so you know what if we haven't done one maybe we'll do another episode on how do you properly set goals because i think like there's probably a lot of people out there that that don't know how honestly they're just like uh <laughs> eh, you know what am my buddy getting over there you know and like maybe that's my goal yeah so that'd yeah be a good episode. Sure. um cool all right Let's talk a little bit about how we put it together. I know we had a whole episode, like Justin, Mark, and I talked about like how we put it together. I just want to like just re, re recast that for people that didn't listen to that episode. So, you know, the benchmark report for us it basically looks at all of our customers' data for the past year. So we looked the latest cut was twenty twenty one, and we have all of this advertising performance data, right? We have everything, <laughs> you know, uh, all the way from spend to the ad channel metrics, like, you know, clicks and click-through rate, et cetera, cost per lead, all the way, though, down into, like, cost per opportunities, triggered opportunity amounts. Um, And we can do it that way because we're connected to Salesforce for a majority of our customers. But this is where the first rub comes in, is that not all of our customers are connected to Salesforce. And so one of the things about the benchmark report is we had to have a way of identifying which customers are not connected to Salesforce. And then when we calculate the cost per opportunities or any of the cost pers or any of the metrics that need Salesforce data, we just have to take them out. We have to take the entire experiment row out so that we don't inflate, you know, basically like our cost pers. Because if you can think about it this way, like if we had all their spend metrics up front, but we didn't have the, you know, it's just adding to the spend, you know what I mean? But still this lower like opportunity amount. And so you're like, wait, what's going on? And honestly, the first version of the benchmark report we released this year, unfortunately, didn't have that fix in it. And so that's where people could go in and even still get a bad example of like what this looks like with metadata. And we finally were able to fix it a couple of weeks after we released it. But, you know, we kind of shit the bed a little bit with some people, I'm sure, because they they saw it and they're not going to come back and look at it again. And I don't think we even sent a correction out, you know, Um so those are just like, that's just one example of how this can get a little hairy as you're putting it together. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the transparency is key, right? How we source the data so people can understand that. You can understand the definitions involved when looking at the benchmark report. So you can really understand how everything was put together and, and really draw those insights for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the team it takes to put it together is pretty big. You know, we have... Internally, we've got um, like a data scientist on our team that works to help put it together. Um, one or two people from our dev team that has to like extract the data, transform it in a way. Then I have to hire an analyst on our side, like a data engineer, a very, very solid one. And then this year we actually hired a Tableau developer, you know, so that they can, we can put it in a visual, like a, a nicer visualization than Data Studio. So that, there's a lot of people involved. And then Justin, we have a content <laughs> writer, you know, that has to write the entire report, which is a very long report. Um, so it's a bit, it's a, it's a big effort. And, uh, and this year, like I thought we'd do it faster, but it actually took us longer this year than last year. And so next year we'll start it even earlier and see if we can get it out. Like I want to get it out like within a month or six weeks of the year closing. It's going to be super interesting to see year over year too the trends and you know, what's changing and the, like the, the, the shifts in terms of go to market strategies. Is that reflected in, 
you know, KPIs and things like that. So for sure. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Let's, uh, let's jump into some of the data now. Um, I think first, uh, be good to just give people like an overview. So I'll just talk a little bit about, you know, some of the input metrics that went into this. Um, so in 2021, our customers put through about $42 million of spend through our platform. And that's across um, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we actually didn't start, we didn't add the Google Ads channel into it in 2021 just because it was so new. And we also don't have our display spend in here. So just everybody that you know is looking at this, um, our display is in a separate bucket and we didn't want to include it in here because it could throw some of the metrics off. Um, Sylvia, talk about that a little bit. Like why, why is that? Different channels have different strengths and weaknesses. So if we have display spend in there, Google spend in there, and they're all trying to promote lead generation, it's going to skew the data significantly. So things like that, um, just the nuances of channels, ad types themselves, all of those things have to go into consideration when putting this together. Yeah. And we felt like display was a different enough, like what the outcome, you know, like what the outcome you're trying to drive to keep it separate. So we actually thought about doing a separate benchmark report just mm -hmm. with the display data, but it was like, oh man, it was hard enough to get this yeah. one done. So maybe next year we'll do that. Um, through that spend is about 75,000 experiments run. And so an experiment in metadata is, is what would you equate that to in LinkedIn? Like a, I don't a campaign. Even know the terminology. A campaign. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. So seventy-five thousand campaign experiments. Um, Twenty-five billion with a B. Twenty-five billion dollars of, and this is what I hate: influenced pipeline. You know what I mean? So like, uh, we don't hang our hat on that one because it's a big number. But yep, metadata campaigns touched twenty-five billion dollars of pipeline. But the one we're more interested in is like pipeline that was created. You know. Um, and so almost $200,000 of triggered, um, marketing sourced pipeline. Something to note really quick um, too, Jason. All right. Sorry. Million. <laughs> I said $200 million. A really sorry. important. Just yeah, yeah. $200,000. Sorry. All the pipeline. <laughs> Some really, like a really quick note on the, you know, influence versus triggered is clients determine how they count influence versus triggered. So that's another thing as well is, you know, we're aggregating yeah. all this data, but the way clients, you know, take that into consideration is on a per client basis based on the different models they're using. Yeah. And that's actually a benefit of our platform. Honestly, um, you can configure how the platform does attribution. We don't just pick one and like force you to use it. Um, because we want our data to match the way you report as close as possible. Um, and so, yeah, very, con how many different models can you choose from in our, and then you can totally customize too. Four models, yeah, contacts, <clears throat> yeah. association, and, and custom, primary, right? and I might be missing a fourth one, three or four. Um, cool, nice. All right, so that's some of the summary metrics. And so with that, uh, we'll talk. We'll start talking about LinkedIn versus Facebook a little bit, because that's like you know that's always like one of the, the the discussion points. You know, what should I be running on LinkedIn and Facebook? So. In the data we have, Facebook has a lower cost per click, but jumps up above LinkedIn on cost per lead. Um, so I think, you know, this is part of why we direct some of our customers to, you know, maybe primarily promote top of funnel, mid funnel stuff in Facebook where you can get, you know, lower cost to the content, but then maybe retargeting in LinkedIn 
for the lower funnel activities like a demo request or you know something like that um what are your thoughts on that so yeah i i struggle because it's so i the one thing i will say is test for yourself and see what works for you um generally speaking yes facebook costs are cheaper on the front end and then you know linkedin is much more expensive it also has to just do with the bidding model involved in those channels and how you're billed so facebook is on a CPM basis, LinkedIn is on a CPC basis. So typically you're gonna see lower upfront costs on Facebook and you're gonna see a lot more expensive costs upfront on LinkedIn. But really not just paying attention to that cost per lead metric, but all the way down to actual triggered opportunity is super insightful because you know you can have, yeah. it can lie, right? You can have a Facebook experiment driving a ton of leads at super low cost, but if they never convert to pipeline, then obviously you don't wanna put more dollars around that. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and we do see, you know, the cost per lead, it's not hugely different, but, you know, about 164 average in LinkedIn and 225 average on Facebook. Um, and I think that's, you know, that can kind of, that helps you understand it a little bit there too. Um, and I've tried to make sense of that in my mind, you know, in some ways, because like, to me, it's interesting. I don't know why it's interesting. It should be very clear. But if I think about like, hey, I'm just in a feed, right? I, I'm not. I'm not in my mind. I'm like I'm on the Facebook mm -hmm. feed right now. Or I'm on the LinkedIn feed right now. You know, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm scrolling mindless shit, and I see an ad, and it's either relevant to yeah. me or it's not. You know, but I, but fa like, but it's very clear. Like Facebook performs differently than LinkedIn, and so um, I don't know. I mean, is it is it really? subconsciously like people are more like entertainment focused mm -hmm. and that kind of thing when they're on Facebook I mean what do you think or have you seen any studies I have a that? hunch that it's even simpler than that I think it's because so many b2b marketers are new to advertising on Facebook like especially our clients that's a big value add of why they use metadata and Facebook does have nuance they're very similar but there's nuance and I think there's almost like a learning curve on the b2b side of leveraging Facebook and I think that might be why we're seeing higher upfront costs. So I think there's like that skill gap, if you will. The other thing with Facebook specifically versus LinkedIn is the creative needs are a lot higher. Uh, ad fatigue sets in typically a lot mm. quicker than LinkedIn. And a lot of B2B teams are strapped when it comes to like creative resources and they can't, you know, imp like output the amount of creative required to stay on top of that. So I'd be interested to see over yeah. the years as like Facebook becomes more and more normal for B2B and how that trend right. develops. Yeah. Um, do you think it does, does Facebook require different, it kind of, I think you kind of mentioned it, like a different creative than LinkedIn? Like, do we see that at all or have we tested for that? For the most part, they're the same. I mean, dimension wise, they're the same. It's just, there's yeah. nuance on both platforms. So for example, one of the things that I've seen work really well on Facebook that we're not really seeing yet is long form copy. There's really like a good opportunity mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. do long form copy on Facebook versus LinkedIn, but people are not really yeah. taking advantage of that. It also yeah. requires, you know, most B2B ads are like one to two lines of text and it's like very short and to the point, but telling story through copy in long form is very effective yeah. and powerful on Facebook. And that's, what I've seen a lot of success with that I don't see a lot of our customers doing and, and a lot of B2B marketers in general doing. So it'd be interesting to have they yeah. lean into that. Yep. Yeah, no, I know I'm, I've been, uh, I've been attracted to an ad that's a lot like a super long form, you know? Um, and you're right. That takes a totally different 
you got to hook them to the story. Like you said, it's got to be a story. It's got to like somehow trigger an emotion. You know what I mean? In me, like I'm not going to read an ad, right? Like, so I've got, there's got to be something in the ad for me itself for me to read that whole thing. And some of them get goddamn yeah. long, right? Like I've seen, like you click it and it's like, it just took up your whole phone. You know what I mean? You're just like, whoa, what is there an ad? Is there a length limit on Facebook? I mean, yeah. I mean it must be, but it must yeah, be. Yeah, no, it's, long. it's pretty long. I don't know the exact uh, amount off the top of my head, but yeah. it's pretty extensive. Yeah. And, the, the yep. bigger the ask, like top advertisers, what they do is they pre-qualify the click. So t- like having long form mm-hmm. copy is super powerful because you can tell a story and you can really, you know, pre-qualify that visitor. So when they do click through, hopefully they're, they're pre-sold, if you will, and they're more likely to take that action. Nice. Well, you, this is actually shown in the data. So actually I had it as one of my final points. Um, let me pull it up here. Doot, doot, doot. Um, Oh, no, it was actually not too far down. Yeah, so the the text length. So, like, Facebook's highest one is for 300-plus characters. Um, and it was, like, I don't, can't remember. I probably have it over here. 0.75% compared to, like, the next closest, like, in the 0.6%, yeah. you know, even something like that. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah, here it is. Let's see. Add text length, headline length. Yeah, 0.74 all the way down to 0.66% almost. Um and so, yeah, it's interesting to me. Um, does Facebook, that, that click, that's not the click to expand the rest of the ad, is it? Or is that, or is it? Does that, does that count as a click on Facebook? It does. There's different, like there's landing page clicks, ah. but then there's also like, you know, engagement type clicks. But yeah, that counts. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so clicking to see more would register as a click yep, on the exactly. ad. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So maybe that, maybe that's why that's a higher click through rate because people are actually dropping it down. Do you know what's the, I'm, I'm learning all this from you now. Like, so if I'm learning this, hopefully like people, is there, um, do you know what the character length is before you have to hit that see more? You know what I mean? Like, is that, I mean, I don't know if you know if I'll chop your head, but I'm sure that's a stat set or like a number somewhere. Yeah, not off the top of my head, but it's like usually like one to two lines and then you have to click see more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting strategy. I think it's something I might want to like try and pull on our storytelling capabilities. A big thing you know? people forget um, is when you're doing social advertising, the best social ads, mirror, like they mirror the best practices of organic posts. So if you're trying to create effective content natively on, let's say LinkedIn, one of the best things you wanna do is you wanna have a hook in the first sentence and you wanna get people to click see more so they can expand and read the rest of your post. The same thing goes with your ads. It's the same best practices. I think we people forget that Paid advertising is just distribution. It's just taking what you're doing and amplifying it. So, but those same best practices, right? You're still talking to the same person. You're just paying for that, you know, that spot to get in front of them. Yeah. And honestly, the more it feels like it's in the feed, you know what I mean? Like that's one of the comments we got on, you know, our, the the ad I do, you know, where I'm like typing, you know, and I turn and I'm like, Hey, you beat you know, like, People have said, I didn't even know that was an ad. You know, they're like, I just thought that was your post. And it's like, yes, that's what you're going for. Um, and then it drives a demo at the end of it. You're like, oh, shit, that's great. I've literally you know? seen, like, um, on the B2C side, I've seen this one ad that's like, literally the copy was, this is an ad. And then everything was like long form yeah. copy in the in the actual post. <laughs> like, things like that. Absolutely. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I always say this to our customers and, and just clients in general. But I'm like, think of yourself and the ads that you respond to. When it's generally like, a typical ad, it looks like an ad, it feels like an ad, like you tune it out, yep. right? Versus if, especially yep. in a social feed, right? You have to always put yourself in the mindset of, of the receiver and what are they using that platform to do? And 
I think yeah. that gets missed a lot of the times. Like we have like our ad advertising hat on, which like thinks completely differently versus like when we're thinking like as a content marketer or a content creator, we think differently mm -hmm. when really you should be thinking as like yeah. a content creator and just using advertising to just amplify that message through social channels. Yeah, it's still it's still offering, you know, people some something of value. You know what I mean? It's like there's something that they're going to get value from educational content, you know, something. Um, yeah, no, it's totally true. Um, cool. All right. So we touched on that a little bit. Um, anything else on LinkedIn versus Facebook? I mean, I think, again, when you're just looking at averages, it's hard to really tell a huge difference. But um, and this is one where I'll say, too, like we have some clients where they just they just go boom, like they go crazy on Facebook and it just works yep. well. And some that don't. And I think, I think a lot of it is your audience, you know, um, where do, where does your audience hang out? And I think some of these niche audiences, like, um, let's take lawyers or doctors, for example. Um, they're not really on LinkedIn. They're not sitting there scrolling LinkedIn, but these are people that probably have a Facebook account or an Instagram account, you know? And so it's like, Sometimes you're just not going to find people, even in B2B, that are on LinkedIn. And you got to find, like, they're yeah. probably on Facebook, you know. Um, and if you can target them, like you can with MetaMatch, um, you know, from a business perspective, yeah. then Facebook becomes like a super Yeah, like channel. the most successful companies that I've advised here at Metadata, what they all started usually on LinkedIn because they know it to be tried and true. And then from there, what they do is they take what's worked for them on LinkedIn and they replicate it on Facebook and they usually find the most success that way. And then they just start to expand off that. Yeah. yeah. One of the that things I did want to add on like the Facebook versus LinkedIn that I thought was super interesting was the cost per triggered opportunity for Facebook versus LinkedIn. To my surprise, the cost per triggered opportunity was actually lower on LinkedIn versus Facebook. Because again, going back to like, mm -hmm. you know, overall you think Facebook lower cost, et cetera. And it's true on the front end but when you look at it in terms of like actual pipeline created, so far LinkedIn still, still seems yep. to be the better of the two. And then the other thing too that I thought was like, for me, I'm still kind of struggling with like accepting as a, as a fact with the data, you know, cause we all, we all have like our own beliefs yep. is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. auto bidding on LinkedIn. For the longest time, me yeah. and like my mentality with auto bidding is like, it is a, a like you don't do it cause you're just gonna overpay on your, you know, your different campaigns and you're just gonna, your CPCs are gonna get, you know, extreme. But looking at the data, auto bidding on LinkedIn had a 10% higher average cost per click, but a 58% lower cost per triggered opportunity. Yep, I saw that too. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, huh. Um, and remind like what's the difference so manual bid is like i'm just going to go yeah, in and put exactly. the like, amount i want and auto, auto bid you get so when you when bit, you do right? a manual bid you're basically telling linkedin like hey i only want to spend x amount per click when you do auto bid you're like yep. linkedin i trust you i believe in you set my bid to what you want and and i will say like test for yourself because i do see for some some customers yeah. like it gets insane like 130 dollar cost per click for some experiments, like oh, wow. LinkedIn can really take it out of whack. The same is true also on Google. If you're using yeah. auto bidding, you just have to keep an eye on it. But yeah, I thought that was super interesting because LinkedIn doesn't have pipeline data. So like in my head, I'm already right. thinking on right. the algorithm, like how are they like, is it because they're auto bidding? Wow. Like yeah. do they have those signals, <laughs> right. you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yep. 
I could have got lucky, I guess, you know, as well. I don't I want know. to like um, see the data and see if yeah. like, it continues to be true because that would be super insightful. Yeah. Um, so if you don't do auto bidding, how do you know where to start with your, with your manual bid? Yeah, so I always recommend to customers, if you've been running LinkedIn campaigns already, just look at your average cost per click and set your manual bid 20% higher than that and use that as like a starting place. Got it, got it, nice. Um, cool, all right, let's talk about, let's talk about conversation ads, you know what I mean? Because like, it, I, I mean, obviously they've carried us for a long time. Um, they are our... I don't know, probably still delivering 50% of our inbound demand today. <laughs> and they have for two plus years. I mean, it's just been like, in my mind, ridiculous. You know, like I still am surprised by how much, you know, success we've had with conversation ads for how long, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but now that we have customers running them as well through our platform, we've got more data that shows why. And holy, holy crap, like even just starting with like from a CPL standpoint, um, they're 50% lower than other ad types. So like, uh, and we have them for like webinars and demos cut out here. So like a conversation ad for a webinar, you know, 60, $62. Um, LinkedIn, just standard post 143, Facebook, $183. So it's like, yeah, wow, 2X plus. And then on demos, you know, conversation ads about $200 cost per demo. Um, normal LinkedIn, 583 and Facebook, 450. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is like crazy different. And to me, it's not just that, but like the ad itself, you're delivering so much more information and qualifying them. And you know what I mean? So it's like, it's not only that it's lower cost, but they yeah. should be better as well. You yeah, know what I mean? More like personal the message, you can, you can use a conversation mm -hmm. flow to qualify, you know, submissions and asking like questions before they submit the form. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then the follow on to this is that they turn into opportunities, almost two X that of standard ads. So like uh, convo, convo ad will turn into an opportunity at about 4.9% and rest like LinkedIn, just general LinkedIn, 2.6, Facebook, 2.9. So it's like, wow, that too. So not just like lower cost, but then they also then convert to an mm -hmm. opportunity, which is, you know, um, even deeper at a, at a higher rate, you know? So it's kind of like, I guess I ask myself is if you're a B2B marketer and you're not doing conversation ads, like why, yeah. you know, literally please somebody reach out and tell me we've made a conscious decision <laughs> to not do, to not even test conversation ads. Like, please, if you are in that camp, DM me, I want to know, I literally want to know why. Cause I, I recommend this to almost all of our customers who have not tried it. I'm like, you know, and, and our playbook around this for demos involves an incentivized mm -hmm. demo. And sometimes I talk to customers and that's their yeah. problem. They're like, oh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do an incentivized demo. And then I show them the data and then I talk to them about what actually happens, the psychology of it. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe, you know? And then I write the copy for them and I did this for one CMO. And she was like, oh, I would never say that. I'm like, I know, just trust <laughs> me. You know, just like, <laughs> you got to lean out over your skis a little bit. Don't worry about it, you know? And sure enough, it worked, of course, you know, because we've, we've yeah, tested the, these The biggest things. reservation that I've seen just advising customers to use combo ads is, especially if there's a gift card, is they don't want to offer the incentive. They don't know how to fulfill on the incentive. So more of the operational stuff. Yeah. And then also too, that they'll generate 
you know, a lot of pipeline from combo ads with a gift card, but it won't actually close to revenue. That's been yeah. the biggest yep. gap, I think. Yeah, and we looked at that too, because we, we know that as well. Um, we have about a three to 4% close rate on incentivized demos and a 12% close rate on non-incentivized. And you're like, holy shit, that's, don't do conversation ads. But guess what happens? A, they're already cheaper. So like the, the unit economics still end up working out, but they don't. So the incentive gives them a reason to take the demo now. They may not have pain, you know what I mean? Or enough pain that where they would take it just or looking for it. But okay, yeah, sure. Like, and if you're good with targeting, you know what I mean? Like you're getting it to the right people and qualifying them again, right? Making sure that again, the right person. Then you're first to market, totally. you know what I mean? You like get in front of them first. And if you have a platform that's different and they're like, can let off some like, oh shit moments, you know, like ours does, you lock that in. And then our data shows like they do come back around later, you know? And so we don't create an opportunity initially. And then the future opportunity might not be tagged to inbound, you know, because like, oh, maybe outbound reached out or they just came in. And if they came in directly, they'll, they'll be tagged to inbound. But we see them convert later on on an unincentivized, like either a demo, like a website demo request, or they actually do end up getting back to the SDR like, hey, like, I, you know, we never yeah. really ended up booking that demo or, you know, we only took it one meeting, you know, kind of wanted to come back and check it out. I've seen that so many times, For sure. like in Salesforce, where it's like all of a sudden somebody just come pops back in and it's like, oh, you look it back and it's like six, nine months ago, they were, they actually had the demo they, they ended up ghosting the AE maybe, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, you know that thing we did like six yeah, months Yeah, that's, that's it right there, honestly. It's, I always tell customers like you're planting seeds. And, you know, there's yep. having qualified prospects learn more about your product generally is a good thing. You know, it might not be the right time, but when it is, you know, you are yep. top of mind, right? And then ideally you're, you know, that's like the first step and you're doing other things too to nurture that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Like retargeting, you know, like retargeting them, um, connecting with them on LinkedIn so that they start to see your content that you're distributing, you know, organically. Yeah. One of the, so conversation of the super ads. insightful things yes. around conversation ads, especially like for us, we used it as a way of driving demos for so long. And that was like the primary focus. But one of the things that I'm actually seeing in the data and just with customers is they're a very versatile ad type. You don't have to just use it for mm -hmm. demos. Actually, I was looking at the benchmark report and this was fascinating. Using convo ads to promote webinars and like events yep. was 50 to 60% lower compared to like single image ads. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And if you think about it, it makes kind of sense, right? Because you're like, hey, here's an event we're doing, you know, we'd love to have you register. And they can either say yes or hey, tell me more, yep. you know, and then like, tell me more. Oh, we're going to do this. This is what you can learn, you know, and you just give them a little bit more info. It's kind of like almost like they got to your event reg page, but the, like the ad is almost your event reg yep. page, you know, where you're kind of like, you can talk about the whole value of the event, you know, and all that stuff and then get them to convert. And then, like you said, these are personal, right? Like it's coming from a person, not metadata. And I think that has something to do with it too. And that's actually a question I was going to ask you about Facebook, like those long form ads, like they shouldn't be from the company though. Right? Like, should they or can they be like if you're long form and trying to grab emotion like should we be running ads from ourselves like on on facebook i've never know. tested in b2b but when i was in b2c i saw that running ads through a personal page like a person so is a lot more effective than an actual company and again it's because people don't go on social media to you know interact with companies they're there to act with individuals right 
And I feel like if I'm telling a story, I want to hear a story from a person, not uh, an entity, yep. you know? So maybe we can run an experiment like that. So yeah, no, for think? sure. Like even just changing, run it yeah, from my even account. just changing the, like the company page logo from, like you could still say metadata.io, but like we'll have a profile picture of you, A-B test against Mark and, you know, others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. See what converts better, but yeah, yeah absolutely. It's nice. Yeah, I like it. Um, I got some more insights, but did you have any like that you that you found that you wanted to pull out that were that were kind of yeah. Like, huh? One of them for me was I know a very you know common life cycle of B two B SaaS companies is they want to go up market, right? Drive bigger deals, you know, <clears> and you know get in front of these thousand plus companies, et cetera, employee size. When I was looking at the benchmark report, the cost per triggered opportunity. So I broke it out into three segments. So one to 100 employees, the cost per triggered opportunity was $5,280. 100 to 1,000 was 2668 And then 1,000 plus was 4898 across Facebook and LinkedIn. Hmm. That was very like, interesting to me because I would have thought that reaching people, you know, a smaller market segment, one to 100 employees would be cheaper in terms of actual pipeline. But it's actually seems to be not the case that like that mid market hundred to a thousand mark is significantly lower. And then the a thousand plus it does jump up uh, compared to the one hundred one to 100, but not as dramatically as you would think. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if there's any implication around like the size of company and what they're selling. You know what I mean? Like, is it a higher ticket item that shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't, always be that way, mm -hmm. right? Like that shouldn't be a hard and fast rule. Like the bigger company you are, the more your platform costs. But you know what I mean? I wonder if there might be some correlation there. Yeah, there's some weird, interesting correlations that could be going on. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting because um, you'd think, you know, to break into, an, to get an opportunity at like a company, let's say like Google, would be significantly more expensive and harder than, you know, just a 50 person startup. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, maybe there's something to do with like how long the company's been advertising, right? Because if you're a smaller company and like you're you really have only been advertising for a couple of years, you know, maybe people really don't know you. Whereas you're established, you know, you've been marketing forever, and it's like, oh, everyone's seen your stuff for so long, you know, it's like they haven't converted yet. You know, they 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 might not, and it's harder for you know each incremental conversion. Um, I don't know. You know, I keep wondering when I see all these demos come in, I'm like how many B2B companies are there out there? You know, I'm like, if we're, if we're driving like 400 demo requests a month, like how, how long can that actually last? You know, I have no idea how many B2B companies are even yeah. out there, you know, in the U S and Canada, which is really where we're focused today. Um, yeah, I don't know, but hopefully that we got to create a new TAM, For you know sure. what I mean? I think that's part of it. It's like, um, any other ones? Yeah. The other one was the CPL by audience size. I thought that was pretty interesting. So yeah, I looked at that. Yeah. On uh, Facebook, it looked like larger audiences have lower CPLs, but on LinkedIn, the audience size didn't seem as relevant. And even on the, on Facebook, it was marginal, like the difference in cost by audience size. So it's usually been like a tried and true understanding that on Facebook, because of the way they've been on a CPM basis, the larger the audience size, right, the greater the impression pool, so you can get lower cost. And then LinkedIn bids on a CPC yeah. basis, so it doesn't seem like the audience size is as big of a factor. Um, so I thought that was interesting. So I think what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that size doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> Size doesn't matter. You heard nice. it here first. <laughs> nice. Yep. There you go, people. Um, size audience size doesn't seem to matter yep. that much yeah no i was surprised by that too um that's funny uh we just wanted to say size doesn't matter you know that's all but no but honestly it didn't i thought it was going to be different but like even the one to like what was it, one mm -hmm. to one thousand or something or one to ten thousand we bucketed these right we had to bucket these in some way um i was thinking that one would be a lot higher you know what i mean yep. um but it's like they're all within but from a cpl perspective that seemed like they were all within a couple hundred dollars or like or sorry like tens of dollars almost yeah it was marginal it wasn't um, anything dramatic yeah. the i think the big thing yeah. too that we miss is like a different way of framing your thought process around audiences is a lot of times we kind of get caught up on like the recommendations of facebook or linkedin and you know, if you listen to them, you would have an audience size of like 2 million people every time. And anything underneath that is like too small versus like as B2B marketers, we're fixed, like we're interested in a fixed universe, a very specific profile, et cetera. So you can't think in terms of like traditional channel uh, recommendations. So the one thing I always tell like customers is like, yeah. remember at the end of the day, if your ad is not getting in front of the right person, everything else is gonna suffer, right? So we have to dial that in. Yeah. The audience size really, instead of framing it as like it's going to make or break the performance of this campaign think of it as just like a way of understanding how much scale is available how much additional spend can we put against this audience mm -hmm. but that should never dictate whether or not you use that audience if it's a high value audience for you and it has an yeah. audience size of a thousand but like it is the most wonderful amazing highest quality you know a thousand individuals that you can get in front yeah. of like you should yeah right yeah, and, and again, mm -hmm. test it out, right? Like, so maybe you create an audience the smallest you can, and but it's like, there's reasons. They have intent, yeah. you know, the technographic shows they've got your competitor, like whatever it is, you've got all these reasons to like, this is our list. Try that, go a little broader, try that. And you can experiment and kind of see where the sweet spot is. I thought what was interesting on the audience size thing was like a majority of our experiments are run with audience sizes above 100,000 people. And to me, I'm kind of like, that feels pretty broad you know and i thought oh maybe these are mostly brand mm -hmm. awareness they're not those were mostly most like vast majority cpl campaigns and so i was like ah that was a sign to me that we got gated content people going on here <laughs> right because like if you've got that big of an audience you're not selling to that many people and you're doing like cpl which for us is like a lead gen campaign that's got to be gated content in my mind. Like that's not demo requests. And actually I did sub-segment a little bit more and try and get to demos and events. And it was like a very, very small mm -hmm. percent. So it's like, also come on people, like let's, let's, let's start to turn around the gated content stuff a little bit. I maybe. can see um, all the customers and, in my mind right now. Cause I'm so involved with like their day to day. And yeah, a lot of it is gated content yeah. for sure. Generally speaking, the, yeah. the, the rule of thumb is for clients is if you have an audience size greater than 250, it's you have an opportunity mm. to really get more specific the the challenge so you think even up to 250 is actually pretty valid it all depends on how the audience is built because i've seen clients build audiences yeah. with just job titles and they have an audience mm -hmm. size of like mm -hmm. 200,000 220 but it's like yeah. on the money because it's exactly the right titles the right people the right employee accounts etc they just have very a very popular persona that they're going after yeah right yeah that makes sense um Nice. Well, uh, one more little point, I think, uh, cost per opportunity. So, um, and I, we talked about this in the beginning a little bit, but this is one where it's so wildly totally. different. 
And this is one where like looking at averages kind of gets you hung up. But just to give you a little range for like our data, um, companies in our software industry, which is our biggest representation of customers, um, they average like 2,600 bucks cost per triggered opportunity. That's pretty good. Um, but if you look at the average, it's $6,000. You'd be like, oh, well, shit. But our manufacturing clients, they're okay with a $10,000 cost per opportunity. And we have, and I won't even mention the industry because it's probably one customer in it, so I don't want to out it. But there's another industry where they have a over $100,000 cost per opportunity. And they're like, yep, you know, because it's like they're, they're selling something that is, they have the most niche audience and they're selling something that costs millions and millions of dollars. You know what I mean? And so like they're fine with a couple handful of leads, high cost per lead. But again, it's funny because like this customer is happy, but yet that $100,000 cost per opportunity just gets wrapped up into our averages. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like that's why it's important. And maybe next year we'll actually, maybe we'll actually won't release an entire full benchmark report because it's just like, you know, it's hard to get like good insights from these Yeah, maybe super break it up by vertical or strategies or yeah. something like that. Yeah, I think we'll have to. Yep. Yep, I think we'll have to just to make it more. I was even thinking too for like brand awareness, adding more account based metrics to report on. I think super valuable. Yes, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, kind of looking at display next year too. So, shit, we better get started (laughs) on this thing right now. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, we're up on time, Silvio. This is awesome. Um, Thanks for doing another episode of Demand Gen U with us. Uh, Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, If you haven't yet, uh, give us a nice little five star rating. Uh, subscribe to the podcast so you get to see all the future episodes. But thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.